I really love the definition by Joanna Macy of an activist being anybody who is active for a purpose that is bigger than personal gain. In the Shoalhaven, we're getting flogged by climate change, by fires and floods and extreme weather that is increasing in severity and frequency. We are in a time of great uncertainty, of grief and of despair. But I see women working together. Women who are using their unique skills, their creativity and their values to work within their capacity to care for planet and for people. Welcome to Active and Effective. I'm Sheree. Bolawani Naga, Takisa Frank Banaga, Aboriginal Gainja. Hello, my name is Takisa Frank and I'm a proud Aboriginal woman. Naga Banja Jin Nayawanya Darida. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the people of your nation. Naga Banja Biyayin Bagunguyin Bugiya Banawe Babunja Yuan Wanana Yahweh Nawe. I would like to pay respect to elders both past and present and extend that respect to any other Aboriginal people listening to this podcast. Today I'm going to be talking with Tanya. And Tanya is a friend of mine who I first met around the Menyana Matters campaign, which was to protect unburnt bushland from inappropriate development. And Tanya and I are bonded at the fence line. There were contractors that were uh, installing a fence around this precious piece of bushland and we were doing whatever we could to delay them in a a non-violent matter. And I got really angry at a community member who had deliberately destroyed my signs and Tanya put me in her car. She sat me down with a container of cashews and some water and I wasn't allowed out until I'd calmed down. It was my first experience of coming into activism and my emotions were really heightened and Tanya taught me that day that it was just so important to care for the people that were doing the work and to look out for each other. So it's become one of the things that I focus on whenever I'm involved in action now. So thank you for that, Tanya, and welcome. I'm beyond happy to be here. It's a great honour. Thank you for choosing me. Yes. So Tanya is one of my wonderful author friends and Tanya has um, only recently become an author and we've been involved together in lots of organising and participating for events around Manana Matters and one of my favourite ones was the launch of Tanya's book. The book is called... The Birds of the Redhead Villages which is the name of the five villages where I have a house. Yes. Mm. So tell me, this is in the Manana area, the five villages? This is in the Manana area. There are five villages. There's Bendalong, Beringer Lake, Manana, Kanjarong Point and North Bendalong. Yes. And they're five villages surrounded by National Park on the coast. One of the things that I think is unique about our little area too is that there is these um, corridors between each village. There's this separateness with the bush, so that really provides um, mm. a great, great area for for wildlife. That is, that is, I totally agree with that, and that is the one thing that one of the things that made me fall in love with 
the area was, was these little, there's this village and then there's a chunk of bush and there's this village and there's a chunk of bush. And in actual fact, the block of land that we um, bonded over is probably driving when you turn down into the road that this block borders on. It is just the most stunning piece of bush I think I've ever seen. It's got very tall old trees and then a very consistent height under layer and it's never been disturbed. And there's something about when you drive through there all the time, the quality of light, what you're looking at is stunning. I I never even stepped foot on this block of land. For me, it's only just driving past it and how I feel about it as I drive past. Mm, I relate to that so much because I feel like I'm in relationship with firstly Bendalong Road, which has been absolutely slaughtered from Mm. the fires. So that has shifted the way that I feel coming along that road. But yeah. definitely as we drive past that bush, there's a, there's a holding and it feels it feels like we are travelling through the bush as we come into our home. So it's really important. Yeah, it feels like we have made a decision to live in a place that cohabitates with our native environment. Mm. And it feels like... Everybody who has come to stay here to this stage or up to this point has made that decision, Mm. that that's what we do and we take everything that it has to offer, Mm. the good and the bad. Yeah, and we give back Mm. too, yeah. Mm. It is a really uh, special little area that many people feel that that deep love for Mm. and and a sense of wanting to protect it as Mm. well. So tell me about your book and how it was that you decided to become an author. I won't really go into the whole long story of why I decided to become an author because, you know, that was, that's, a pro, that's quite a process, I think. But I think the reason I decided to do a book is that we live in this country on this land and we know very little about it. We build our houses, we plant our gardens, we build our schools, um, and we know very little about the plants or the animals or the birds or anything that we share this space with. And I felt I've been a bird watcher, an avid bird watcher. Well, sorry, I say avid bird watcher, but what I mean is um, I will walk into my garden and go, oh, there's a bird. I wonder what that bird is. I will look that bird up. Whereas avid bird watchers go out with the binoculars, sit there for days and hope to see a bird. I don't do that. <laughs> they're they're talk called twitchers. They're is that twitchers, the yes, yeah. which, you know, I would be a proud member of that club. And I became, I started becoming a bird watcher about mm, 35, 40 years ago now. Gosh, it's, yes, seriously, nearly 40 years ago. So I thought one of the things I could give to this community and one of the things we really came together as a community after the fires. Mm. And I wanted to continue that feeling. I wanted us to continue loving and supporting our wildlife. And so I wanted us as a community to learn where we were. And the only real thing that I know about where we were is birds. Not that much, but enough. And so I thought, what are, and because I was learning to write and because I am, you know, halfway through the novel, I took some time out and thought I will do this bird book. And it was one of those, it was magic. It all came together really easily. I had a lot of support. I 
contacted BirdLife Shoalhaven and they had a lovely man called Charles Dove who was a real twitcher, took photographs of every single bird in the Shoalhaven district and he gave me the photographs, all his photographs. Mm. And then Brendan Ryan, who was a very active member in the early days of our group Manana Matters. Yep. I remembered him mentioning at some point in uh, any of our endless meetings saying that he had monitored and written down and noted all the birds that he had seen in his 30 years of being here. Mm. And so I contacted him and I said, can I have your list? <laughs> and, and he very graciously gave it to me. Yeah. And, and so now we have just this incredible little uh, reference guide. So it's a little uh, pocket-sized book. Mm, so it's a really easy pocket-sized book for from beginners to adults to mediocre people like me. I've designed it in a way that is um, really user-friendly, lots of little symbols saying whether something is endangered or common. I've organised it so if you're on the water and you're looking at the water, you can go, oh, I see a bird. And you can go home to the little book and go to the section which is water birds and say whether it's a small bird, what colour it was, and it will be in that order in the book. So it's where it's found and it goes from smallest to largest. And then you can see whether it's endangered. It has a place where you can mark, you know, when the dates you've seen it. And it also has a fun fact because, you know... Everything's interesting. Yes. And it, it like for me, I've had those experiences of now noticing a bird and going, ooh, what is that? And then going and getting my great little book and having a look. And and it was the descriptions of the behaviour of the Bassian thrush which helped me to identify it oh. and then to want to tell the world. So I, I probably, every time I ident- identify a word, want to let you know. <laughs> is, so that, is that happening that a lot? <laughs> is, is that happening with other it, people? It actually does happen. If I People don't actually contact me, but if I see them, they're going, oh, I love your book. I just saw this bird and I marked it in my book and I was never doing that before and now I do it every time I see a bird. And that makes me really happy because the more you know something, the more you know a place, the more you love it. Mm. And the more you know about it, it's very easy to walk in and clear fell an area if you don't understand it or love it. If you love that place, if you know that place, you won't hurt that place. Mm. You will nurture that place. So Mm. that's what I want everybody to do. And that's what I think the massive difference between our original custodians and the way we live on this in this country is is that we came as as imperialist takers, mm. and so we've just been on this extraction mentality for the last two hundred and fifty years. And the original custodians love their place, a part of their place. They wouldn't hurt their place, and it's very hard concept for us as Westerners to understand. We love our house and our garden. Mm. But it stops there. Yeah. I love, uh, so I'm a permaculturist and I love that we, we speak of a ethical responsibility to protect the forests around the home. Mm. And this reminds me of one of my favourite permaculture principles, which is observe and interact. And one of the things that I love most about that is the presence that it gives you. So when we talk about well-being or meditation, mm. it's about 
being present in the moment. And, yeah. I, and I think that that's what this book is offering as well, oh. is, that, is that presence. Thank being you. really present in your environment and noticing the little things, which I think is just such a key for being in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard some really amazing little stories too last Christmas about this book being bought for uh, grandchildren from grandparents with binoculars and that they would go on the adventures and fill out the book together. So, um, yeah, I thought that that was just such a beautiful thing that was coming together, grandparents and grandchildren going out and observing where they are. And I also think that it's uh, really interesting from, uh, I guess, a citizen science perspective. It's becoming, the book becomes a record as you're Mm. able to write down where you've cited the birds. Um, So I'm interested in what you think or what role you think that citizen science can play in conservation. I think it's vitally important. And I was thinking about that phrase, citizen scientist, a lot over the last few months, I guess. Mm. And I just started to think, isn't that interesting? That's the way we call it. We call it citizen science. Uh, Original custodians will call it knowledge. Mm. And, but we have to call it citizen science. And I think, so therefore, I think citizen science is vitally important because the more people engage, as I said a moment ago, the more people engage with their area and understand their area and know, learn what is there. We don't know. I mean, there are very few people in Australia who could name 10 native birds in their suburb. Mm, yeah. And let alone 10 native plants, which is even more tricky, or 10 native lizards, which is even more tricky. Or um, I used to also um, breed and sell Australian native stingless bees. And when I started that process, I thought there was only this one type of bee called Tetragonula carbonara, which sounds like a delicious <laughs> Italian food. Um, but when, the more I learned, I realised there was actually 2,000 Australian native. 2,000? 2,000 species of Australian native stingless I'm bees. enamoured with the um, the blue banded bee. Oh, They're divine just so things. divine. But, yeah, I've been noticing more and more yes. types, but I didn't realise 2,000. Yes, so it's 2,000. So I think, and I think that's so, I think citizen science is invaluable for feeding knowledge up the food chain to the scientists. Mm -hmm. But I also feel it's incredibly important for the person who's doing undertaking the citizen science or the community Mm. that is undertaking. It's actually, I think that is its real value, Mm. is that it's, um, it's understanding where we live. And I think for us to save this beautiful, vital, incredible, dynamic, diverse country, we need to understand more. That's the only way we're going to do it. Mm, is absolutely. I mean, we can love it and go, yes, we'll save that, we'll just lock it up and that's as much as I need to know and that would be good. But I think at this stage we need to know more. So, yes, and as we know from um, an article that was published yesterday, Citizens Science has stopped the logging in a... Um, in the Styx Valley in Tasmania because they spotted um, greater gliders down there, Mm, which are an endangered species. And it is because of the citizen science. Yeah, that's happened in Talaganda and also in um, Shallow Crossing State Forest recently as well. So definitely for those reasons, for being on the ground where scientists can't be in this voluntary 
And it's a, you know, it's a voluntary practice. Doing that is incredibly important. Mm. So there's a lot of really great local work happening around citizen science at the moment. Manana Matters is going to have some things coming up. Um, I'll, oh. I'll definitely share some stuff in the show notes for this episode so that people can get in touch with organisations that are teaching people how to use citizen science in an effective way. Oh, I just would like to also um, acknowledge the um, citizen science that is going on with our... It is now called the Hooded Dotterall, but it was the... Yeah. The hooded plover, yeah. um, which is a very highly endangered bird that nests on our beaches in the Manana precinct. Mm. And there's quite a strong volunteer group of citizens who go out and monitor and watch and mark and put fences up and protect these highly endangered little birds mm. from humans, dogs, predators. Mm, yeah. There's, there's some really vigilant people around yes. uh, the, the shorebirds in our area. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll link up to that as well. Mm. That's something that people can get actively involved in on their local beaches. Yeah. So this set of questions is something that I've been asking from everybody that comes along. So, Tanya, in regards to our local environment and climate change, mm. in just a few words, can you tell me what has you fired up right now? Well, this is my favourite question, by the way. Oh, that's really interesting. I feel like I'm fired up about everything. Mm. I feel like am I, I'm not contained in my upset <laughs> <laughs> or distraughtness. I think in the local area it's definitely still about um, habitat loss. Mm. Um, I feel that um, we need to protect our coastlines mm. and we need to protect our coast. Yeah. And we need urgently. to protect all that lives along the coast. Mm. Um, on a bigger picture, New South Wales way, sort of greater Sydney area, which I kind of consider uh, take this into, it's how much agricultural land I'm seeing being developed into housing mm. and mm. what a tr- – and. Bad housing, bad, yeah. bad, bad, cheek by jowl, hot yeah, tinderbox, heat, 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 what do they call it? Heat sinks. Heat sinks, mm. yeah. yeah. Bad. We live in an incredibly arid country and we need to protect our food belt and mm. that is our food belt mm. and we are building on it like idiots and yes. it is something we are going to regret. Yeah, it seems like there's an overlap from my perspective of uh, so inaffordable housing. Yes. Young people have nowhere to go. Yes. Uh, a need, a, I guess, uh, uh, inappropriate use of our housing. Yes. <laughs> um, disrespect for the agricultural land yes. and clear felling at a time when we can't lose biodiversity. Yeah, and clear felling for housing and clear felling yeah. for anything, even clear felling for agriculture. Yeah. And is, logging, of course. And logging, as well. of course. Yes, let's not forget logging. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That wasn't about my rage, but there's some of my. <laughs> Well, it but is. there's I an mean, overlap. I in have, all I have, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and that leads into what what is breaking your heart right now. I guess that's a similar conversation, really. Well, I guess that's a tricky one because absolutely everything is breaking my heart. Mm-hmm. I feel complete despair most of the time. Uh-huh. I live in a bubble of the small things, and. Um, 
two things that come to mind. I just feel the inaction of the government, the stupidity of humans, the obsessive consumerism of ridiculous, stupid, chuck-away stuff, the mining of Antarctica, everything annoys me. Everything is upsetting me. I'm completely distraught yeah. all the time. Thank you for naming that that complete distraught is yeah. something that so many of us are holding. And I think it's it's actually quite a new thing. I think I've been quite just dist- I've been completely I was quite an active environmentalist for a number of years. Mm. And um I have not been able to be that for a number of years because I am so distraught. I've lost the ho- in a way I've lost the hope. Um, I've lost the hope of my capacity, not the hope, but the hope of my capacity to create change, I think is what. And that book is sort of my way of creating a yeah. little bit of a little bit of hope. But I do keep I do keep two the title of two books that I read in the 80s. And one was a book by an author called Milan Kundera and the title was, and it's really just the titles that I hold. And one, his is The Eternal Lightness of Being, mm. which I just thought was the most beautiful title. And then... It, it's a great title for a bird too, don't you reckon? <laughs> what? The, the Eternal, Eternal Lightness, lightness of, of Being. being. Yes. yes. Birds know how to be light. <laughs> yes. And the, and the other title was uh, an Indian author called Arundhati Roy and it was... And it's called The God of Small Things. And that is what I do, is I look for the God in the small things. Mm, beautiful. And that is, the, that is how I get the joy. Okay. So that's, yeah, the next question was what's bringing you joy and it's the... God of small things. God of small things. And I'll, I'll give you an actual example if you like this morning because I, um, I was sitting on my balcony or outside, which I do every day. I get up, I make a hot drink and I sit outside and I drink my hot drink and look and see and observe what is going on. Mm. And this morning, that made me laugh so much, the little bees were landing on the little dandelion flowers and they were, the bees were so heavy, the dandelion flower was bending over to the ground and then the bees would fall off because the dandelion flower had fallen over and the bee would like fall on the ground and then it would pick itself up and fly off and the dandelion flower would spring back up to its position and then the bee would go and land on another dandelion flower and it would bend over to the ground and the bee would fall off and then spring it would fly up. That's such a great visual. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's those things. Yeah. It's noticing that stuff. There's still so much joy yeah. in every little thing so, that I get. So big picture, ooh, small picture, amazing. Yes. And so the last question is uh, what, what's bringing you hope? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have a lot. Well, I would say that your book teaching people to notice little things and be in the mm. moment is is a source of hope for me. Um, oh, that, and I definitely relate to that complete overwhelm for where we're at. And yeah. I think that being present and noticing plays a huge mm. role. And thank you for the gift of that book. Um, so how can we get a copy of it? Oh, uh, that's 
really easy. I guess you can go to the Manana Matters Facebook page and um, send us a note and we'll send you one or you can contact me directly. Yep, we'll pop your details in the show notes. Okay, no problem. Oh, thank you so much for coming in, Tanya. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was heaven. (laughs) So the book is called Birds of the Redhead Villages by Tanya Excel with the assistance of Brendan Ryan and Charles Dove and we will have access to that book which is also relevant to the Shoalhaven. So a lot of these birds have been recorded in the Redhead Villages but it's relevant to the whole entire coastline and it's a great entry point um, in your journey of becoming a twitcher. That concludes this episode of Active and Effective, a podcast about the many creative ways that women can find to be active and effective for the places they love and the people that they love, and how we can lead joyful lives alongside that in uncertain times. If anything from this episode resonates, check out all the resources that are available in the show notes. Active and Effective is a collaboration of Sunny Road, Storywalks. It is made possible with funding from the Shoalhaven Arts Board, Sense of Place Grants. <laughs>